You are listening to audio from First Baptist Church in Fort Walton Beach. If you would like more resources or to watch our service online, please visit fbcfwb.org. Listen in as Pastor Wade helps us abide in Christ and advance the gospel through the teaching and the proclamation of God's Word. All right, so uh, the book of Ezekiel is a challenging book. It's a long book. It's 48 chapters. In fact, the other day, um, my wife asked me a question. She's been listening. She works in the nursery on Wednesday nights. Uh, with mission friends. So she's been listening to the Ezekiel messages and she's kind of reading Ezekiel and listening to the messages and reading and listening. And she said the other day, I said, how many, how many chapters are in Ezekiel? I said, 48. She said, oh. <laughs> oh. So we got a ways to go. So uh, yeah, so we uh, made it to chapter uh, 26. So we are making headway and we'll cover some larger chunks. And tonight we're going to study three chapters, but just kind of a reminder as to the outline. It's there in your notes, five uh, broad headings under this outline. There's the prophet's call, uh, a message of judgment for Jerusalem and Judah. That's chapters 4 through 24. And then we are in the midst of section 3, which consists of messages for foreign nations. Uh, This is when God speaks through Ezekiel to nations surrounding Israel and surrounding that area. Then part four is a message after the fall of Jerusalem. And the final part, chapters 40 through 48, is a vision of restoration. Dr. Kendall Easley, he was one of my seminary professors, does a great job summarizing books of the Bible. And he summarized Ezekiel by writing this From exile in Babylon, Ezekiel, stunning visions and startling symbolic acts were prophecies for the Israelites to teach God's sovereign plan over them in the history of his kingdom so that they shall know that I am the Lord. And Ezekiel was used by God to speak forth his truth to the nation of Israel as they were in captivity in Babylon and to other uh, nations. Now, part three of the outline, these messages for foreign nations can be summarized by this quote from Ralph Alexander. He writes, The messages in this series turn from speaking to the Jews to denounce the surrounding nations that have rejoiced over Judah's downfall. As you remember, God used the Babylonians to overthrow the Jewish people as an act of judgment because they had turned their back to him. And so when the Babylonians overthrew the Jews, other nations were cheering because they didn't like the Jews. God's chosen people. And so now God is speaking to these other nations. And these other nations, when they saw Judah fall, they had hoped for personal spoil and gain. But God announced judgment on these nations, lest their gleeful taunts continue. And the exiles question his faithfulness to his promises. As I studied the section tonight, I I thought about marionettes. You know what a marionette is? A marionette is a puppet. Uh, that's controlled by people who are holding strings, where the uh, phrase, you know, someone's holding the strings or pulling the strings comes from. And, you know, these, these puppets, these marionettes are used to put on a production uh, to enact some type of story. And the puppets are moving and interacting with one another and acting out the story. But above the puppets, unseen, people are actually pulling the strings and controlling the puppets. And we're going to see tonight that 
that there is a lot of evil in the world. We're going to be reminded there's a lot of evil in the world. There are a lot of evil rulers in the world. There are a lot of evil nations in the world. And we're going to be reminded that behind all of this evil, there is an unseen being who is, in effect, pulling the strings. The one who is behind all of the evil. So we're going to talk about that. And we're going to see this as we study the nation of Tyre. It's interesting to note that in chapter 25... God spoke to the Moabites, he spoke to the Ammonites, the Edomites, he spoke to the Philistines, and so he covered, what, four different nations in one chapter. Now, the pace slows down a bit as God uses three chapters, this message from Ezekiel, to speak to the nation of Tyre. So there's something significant about the nation of Tyre, or or the the city of Tyre. Now, Now, Tyre was the capital city of Phoenicia. You heard of the Phoenician peoples, even in extra-biblical history. You know, when you learned uh, history in school, you heard about the Phoenicians and their seafaring ways and their importance in the ancient world. Well, Tyre was the capital of Phoenicia, located in modern-day Lebanon. And it's right on the coast of the Mediterranean. And part of ancient Tyre was actually along the coastline. And part of it was actually on an island just off the coastline. And so you can imagine it would be very hard to attack a city that's on an island. And so Tyre would stand strong against many uh, foreign invaders. But the fact that three chapters are, are designated to a message for Tyre suggests that it was a place of great significance. And just, again, looking at ancient history, we know that Tyre was a place of Commercial significance, religious significance, um, artistic significance. I mean, a lot of things. It was a cosmopolitan-type city in the ancient world. And as you look at the history of the nation of Israel, you see Tyre show up in different parts. For example, if you remember, David and Solomon were good friends with the king of Tyre. His name was Hiram. In fact, Hiram, the king of Tyre at that time, was instrumental in providing materials for the building of the temple. And so we see that Israel and Tyre were on good terms at that time. A little bit later in the history of the monarchy, there was an evil king named Ahab, and he married an evil woman named Jezebel. And Jezebel was the daughter of Ethbel, who was the king of... Tyre. And so in that section of scripture, you see 1 Kings chapter 16 and beyond, you see Tyre in a negative light because uh, Jezebel brings her pagan idolatry to Israel and influences many to turn away from the one true God. And so that is another instance of Tyre showing up in the uh, narrative. Now, in chapters 26 through 28, There are four different messages for the city of Tyre, for the nation of Phoenicia. Four separate messages. So what I want to do is I want to walk you through these four messages. We're going to go through the first three fairly quickly because I want to spend most of our time focusing on message number four. So let's look at message number one, a promise of destruction, found in chapter 26. A promise of destruction. Now... This message, message number one, has four different parts, and they're all marked by the phrase, 
thus says the Lord God. For example, look there in verse 3 of chapter 26. Therefore, thus says the Lord God. That's part one of this message. Look down in verse 7. For thus says the Lord God. Look in verse 15. Thus says the Lord God to Tyre. And then in verse 19. For thus says the Lord God. So each of these statements of, of, of thus says the Lord mark a different section in this message. Let me just walk you through what this message consists of. First of all, and this is in your notes. This message speaks of sure judgment brought about by Tyre's enmity against the Jews. Verses 2 through 6. God is saying, because you rejoice over the downfall of my people, judgment is uh, coming. He says there in verse 3, Behold, I am against you, O Tyre, will bring up many nations against you as the sea brings its waves. And so they were a sea people. They understood the imagery of waves coming against the shore. And the Lord is saying, just like waves keep coming against the shoreline, uh, my judgment will keep washing uh, over you. And that's the imagery that he uses. He says there in verse 4, They shall destroy the walls of Tyre, break down her towers. Now, will scrape her soil uh, from her and make her a bare rock. And so, again, he's speaking of the sure destruction of uh, Tyre because of their enmity against the Jews. And, and just to kind of make this connection, look in verse 2 where he says, Son of man, because, why is the judgment coming? Because, he says, Tyre said concerning Jerusalem, Aha, the gate of the peoples is broken. It is swung open to me. I shall be replenished now that she is laid waste. So Tyre's thinking, now that the Jews are down, now that judgment has come, now that they are weakened and destroyed, we will uh, grow stronger. And because of the way they look down their noses at the Jews, God says judgment is coming. The second part of this message indicates that Babylon will be God's instrument of judgment. And so the Babylonians were the instrument of judgment against the Jews. So the people of Tyre were going, go Babylon, get those Jews. The Lord says in verse 7 through 14, well, guess what? Babylon's going to get you too. Look what he says there in verse 7. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I will bring against Tyre from the north Nebuchadnezzar. There he is again. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, king of kings, with horses and chariots, with horsemen and a host of many soldiers. And so he's saying, Babylon's coming for you too. But it's interesting to note that Babylon would not be the only nation that would conquer them. Remember the imagery of waves. Judgment would keep coming. So Babylon would sort of be the first wave of judgment. But as you study the history of Tyre, it's interesting to note that other nations came against them. When Babylon declined in power, Tyre gained, regained a measure of independence. Uh, but this brief independence lasted for a short while until another wave of destruction came uh, by the uh, Persians. The Persians came against them and destroyed the city. Uh, and beyond that, there were other waves of conquest. Alexander the Great, you heard, learned about him in uh, in, in history in school. Alexander the Great uh, came and uh, destroyed the city of Tyre. Uh, the Seleucid kingdom, Antiochus III, came against Tyre. The Romans uh, made Tyre submit to their rule and reign. Uh, Tyre fell to the Saracens in the 14th century AD. And so there are all these examples of Tyre just keeps getting conquered, just keeps getting waves upon waves upon waves of God using other nations to judge the people of Tyre. Which leads to the third part of message number one. 
this message predicts a catastrophe that will cause other nations to shudder. Verses 15 through 18, he talks about how other nations would take notice of what's happening in Tyre. Look in verse 15. Thus says the Lord God to Tyre, Will not the coastland shake at the sound of your fall when the wounded groan, when slaughter is made in your midst? Then all the princes of the sea will step down from their thrones, remove their robes, strip off their embroidered garments. They will clothe themselves with trembling. They will sit on the ground and tremble every moment and be appalled at you. So he's saying, when the other nations see how mighty Tyre has fallen, they will shake in their boots. And the fourth part of this message is... God explaining how devastating his judgment would be. In verses 19 through 21, again, he's making the case that this would be a a devastating judgment. He says in verse 19, When I make you a city laid waste. This city will be laid waste. And so, message number one is a promise of destruction. So it's not starting off real cheery for for the city of Tyre. Let's look at message number two very quickly. Message number two is a lament for Tyre. The Lord speaking to Ezekiel laments, uh, which is a statement of sorrow, a statement of, of mourning, laments the destruction of Tyre in chapter 27, 1 through 36. And it's interesting here that the Lord uses the metaphor of a ship to represent the city of Tyre. Again, this was the capital of Phoenicia. The Phoenicians were seagoing people. They understood waves. They understood the ocean. They understood ships. And so a ship is used as a metaphor for this nation. You can read about that in verses 1 through 9. And he wants them to know that they're about to experience a shipwreck. Look what it says in verse 26 of chapter 27. Verse 26. Your rowers have brought you out into the high seas. The east wind has wrecked you in the heart of the sea. So if, if, if Tyre is a ship, he's saying it's going to experience a shipwreck. And then look down in verse 34. The Lord says, Now you are wrecked by the seas in the depths of the waters. Your merchandise and all your crew in your midst have sunk with you. So he's saying if, if Tyre is a ship, and he paints that picture earlier in this chapter, they are going to experience a Shipwreck. So what is God doing in chapter 27? The Lord laments, listen to this, the far-reaching effects of the downfall of such a strategic commercial power. That's verses 10 through 36. Their, their seafaring um, affected many nations on the mainland. They would, they would bring uh, goods into the continent and into the other countries, and they would export goods to other uh, nations, other parts of the world. They were a major cog in the wheel of commerce in this time. And so the Lord's saying, when Tyre falls, it's going to affect a lot of other nations because they are so connected through their commerce. And so the Lord's lamenting the effects that this would have, a lament for Tyre. Message number three. I'm going fast because I want to spend most of our time in message number four. Message number three, there's a declaration in chapter 28 of judgment for the prince of Tyre. A declaration of judgment for the prince of Tyre. Look in chapter 28, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me. This indicates this is the third message. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, say to the prince of Tyre, thus says the Lord God, because your heart is proud And you have said, I am a God. I sit in the seat of the gods, in the heart of the seas. Yet you are but a man and no God. 
Though you make your heart like the heart of a god, you are indeed wiser than Daniel. No secret is hidden from you. By your wisdom and your understanding, you have made wealth for yourself and gathered gold and silver into your treasuries. By your great wisdom and your trade, you've increased your wealth. Your heart has become, watch this, proud in your wealth. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you make your heart like the heart of a god, therefore, behold, I will bring foreigners upon you, the most ruthless of the nations, They shall draw their swords against the beauty of your wisdom and defile your splendor. They shall thrust you down into the pit. You shall die the death of the slain in the heart of the seas. Will you still say, I am a God in the presence of of those who kill you? Though you are but a man and no God in the hands of those who slay you, you shall die the death of the uncircumcised by the hand of foreigners, for I have spoken, declares the Lord. So the prince of Tyre speaks of the ruler of the city of Tyre during this time, And this ruler had great wealth, great wisdom. He had built a great power uh, in that city, through again, through the the, the commercial uh, trade. And uh, he was a a very proud person, even thinking, I'm a god. You know, I'm like a god among these people. So the Lord says, because of your pride, uh, I'm going to send judgment. So if you look there in your notes, this message announces the indictment and punishment of Tyre's ruler. Indictment and punishment of Tyre's ruler. The indictment is, you're proud. The punishment is, destruction. Other nations will come and overthrow you. Warren Wearsby writes, World leaders who ignore the Lord and act as if they are gods will all be exposed and judged. World leaders who ignore the Lord and act as if they are gods, will all be exposed and judged. We learn from the prince of Tyre. He was a competent human ruler, but he was proud and ungodly, and God sent his judgment. So there's a declaration of judgment for the prince of Tyre, which leads to message number four. This is where it gets really, really interesting. Message number four is a lament over the king of Tyre. So verses 1 through 10 mention the prince of Tyre. Now the Bible speaks of the king of Tyre. So who is this king? Who is this uh, talking about? Look there in verse 11. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, raise a lamentation, a, a, a word of sorrow and grief. Raise a lamentation over the king of Tyre. And say to him, thus says the Lord God. So you might think of the prince of Tyre, the, the world leader at that time, the leader of the city. You might think of him as the puppet on the stage. The, the prince of Tyre doing his thing, thinking he's in control, thinking he's doing a great job, thinking he's a god, filled with pride and, and arrogance. But the king of Tyre, whoever this is, is unseen, but he's, he's holding the strings. He's, he's behind the pride of the prince of Tyre. So we need to ask the question, well, who in the world is the king of Tyre? Who is, who is, who is this talking about here in Exodus Chapter 28. Well, I believe that this is referring to Satan himself. The enemy of God, the enemy of our souls. This is a reference to how Satan 
is behind the evil of the prince of Tyre. He's the unseen one pulling the strings uh, behind the evil and the debauchery and the, 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 the immorality uh, happening in the city of Tyre. Or you might say it like this. The pride of the prince of Tyre is a reflection of the pride of the king. The one who's behind it all. And so what we're going to see in this message from the Lord to the king of Tyre is we're going to see some things about Satan. We're going to learn some things about him. And I'm going to show you as we look at the text why this is talking about Satan and not just some earthly king or earthly rulers. Look there in your notes. I'm going to just walk you through these things uh, fairly quickly, but uh, hopefully this gives you some good information. First, Satan himself is the one influencing nations and leaders for evil. Satan himself is the one influencing nations and leaders for evil. Again, the king of Tyre holding the strings, pulling the strings. He's behind the evil of the prince of Tyre. And you can look at any um, wicked leader and, and you'll see the same thing happening. I mean, think about someone like Adolf Hitler or think about uh, Lenin or Stalin and, and, and the, the millions and millions of people who were killed under their rule and under their reign. Uh, those, those men, those rulers and those who were under them uh, could, very, could very easily have been demon-possessed. Uh, possessed by uh, the devil or his demons and controlled by them. But at the very least, they were demonically influenced. Satan was influencing their evil decisions and, and, and pulling the strings, if you will, uh, greasing the rails for them to go in the evil direction their hearts were taking them. And so Satan himself is the one influencing nations and leaders for evil. Satan is at work. Revelation chapter 12 tells us, that when Satan realized he could not stop the seed of Israel, who is Jesus, the one who came and died and rose again, when he could not stop the Messiah from providing salvation for you and for me, he flew into a rage. And Satan is currently raging in our world. He's behind the, the evil that we see. Satan himself is the one influencing nations and leaders for evil. Now, let's talk about who Satan is, because there's a lot of... A lot of different thoughts about Satan. And this passage gives us some very important insight into who he is. First of all, Satan is a created being. He's a created being. Look what it says there in verse 11. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, raise a lamentation over the king of Tyre, and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, You were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden. This is obviously not talking about some Phoenician ruler. This is something bigger going on, some, someone bigger. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. And look at the end of verse 13. On the day that you were created. On the day that you were created. And so this verse is clear that Satan is a created uh, being. The, the spiritual realm, which consists of angels and fallen angels that, that Satan took with him when he left heaven. We'll talk about that in a minute. Um, 
are created beings, and Satan was created by God. Now, that's important because a lot of times I think we think of God and Satan as in this kind of cosmic boxing match, you know, and, and, and the Lord gets some blows in and Satan gets some blows in, and they're kind of going back and forth in, in, this, in this cosmic conflict. But listen to me, it's not a fair fight. Satan is not on the same level as God. Satan is a created being that is under the control and sovereign hand of God. For example, remember in the book of Job, when Satan had to come and get permission to afflict Job. Remember that story? And, and Job 1 indicates that Satan was coming before God to kind of give a report, to let him know what he'd been up to. And, and so Satan is created, and, and Satan is a powerful being, he's an evil being, but he is not on the same level as God. And we'll look at that in just a few moments. Satan is a created being. Secondly, Satan was a beautiful being with a position of great importance. Satan was a beautiful being with a position of great importance. And look in verse 13. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. Now look at these stones he mentions. Sardius, topaz, diamond, beryl, onyx, jasper, sapphire, emerald, carbuncle. Crafted in gold were your settings on your engravings on the day you were prepared created, they were prepared. And so this speaks there of Satan's, uh, Satan's beauty um, in, in, in terms of the jewels that he uh, was adorned with. Now here's what's interesting. Every one of those jewels mentioned are mentioned in Exodus 28 as jewels that were on the breastplate of the high priest. Same list. Same jewels were on the high priest's breastplate who was the high priest of Israel. And so that indicates something, doesn't it? It indicates that Satan was beautiful. He was created. He was created beautiful. And he had some type of authority in heaven. Some type of leadership role in that he had these precious jewels that later show up on the breastplate of the high priest. We know exactly what that is. There's a lot of speculation about what his role was. But he had a position of great importance, a leadership-type position, which leads to the next thought. Because of great pride, remember the prince of Tyre's pride is a reflection of the king of Tyre's pride, the one pulling the strings... Because of great pride, Satan rebelled against God. Now look in verse 14. You are an anointed guardian cherub, so an angel. I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God. In the midst of the stones of fire, you walked. He was there in the very presence of God, a position of great importance, a beautiful created being, an angel. And he says in verse 15, you were blameless in your ways from the day you were created, again, a created being, till, until unrighteousness was found in you. That's an interesting phrase. So God created you. You were beautiful. had a position of importance in heaven. You were walking before God on the mountain of God. But then some unrighteousness was found in you. Look in verse 16. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst, and you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire, 
What's behind this unrighteousness? What's behind this rebellion of Satan against God? Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I expose you before kings to feast their eyes on you. So these verses indicate that Satan, this angel with a position of great importance, rebelled against God because of his pride, because of his beauty. He wanted to be like God. And God cast him out of heaven. Now, Revelation uses the imagery of a dragon to speak of Satan being cast out of heaven. And in Revelation chapter 12, it says, When the dragon was cast out of heaven, his tail grabbed a third of the stars, the other angels, and brought them with him. And so that indicates that that when Satan fell, he led many of the angels of heaven astray with him. They followed his lead, and those angels are now fallen angels or demons. They, They are under the leadership of Satan. They do his bidding. Satan and his demons are actively at work against the Lord and his purposes and his ways and his people and his church and your family and your marriage and your kids and your grandkids. I mean, Satan is actively at work with his demons to destroy lives. That's what Satan is all about. And this all goes back to the great pride of Satan when he rebelled against God. So God threw him out of heaven. Now, just kind of a quick word here, because if you start thinking these different thoughts, you think your, your mind starts hurting. God knew this was coming. Hey, God wasn't surprised by this. God is omniscient. He knows everything. So God knew this was, was coming. And God in his sovereignty and his power and his wisdom somehow used all of this, even the fallen evil, to work out his perfect plan. And when it's all said and done, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, and we will all say, wow, look at how God's plan turned out. His name be glorified. So, Saint rebelled against God. He was thrown out of heaven. Now, next statement. This gives you a little bit more information. Sometime between creation, Genesis 1, sometime between creation and the fall, when Adam and Eve ate the fruit they weren't supposed to eat, Genesis 3, sometime between that, Satan was cast out of heaven. Look in verse 17. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before kings to feast their eyes on you. So how do we know this happened before the fall? Um, Well, well, hold your place, but turn over to Isaiah 14. Isaiah 14. Before Ezekiel, you have Jeremiah. Before Jeremiah, you have Isaiah. Look at Isaiah 14. In Isaiah 14, the Lord's talking about the king of Babylon. But then it's as if God's talking about someone even greater than the king of Babylon in terms of uh, greater evil. And, and, and again, the king of Babylon's pride and evil is a reflection of the one who's behind it all, the one pulling the strings. So look what it says in Isaiah 14. It's kind of a parallel passage where the Lord explains Satan's background. Isaiah 14, verse 12. Isaiah 14, verse 12. How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How many of you here have the King James Version? Anybody have the King James Version tonight? Okay, several of you. Uh, your translation probably says Lucifer there, right? Say Lucifer instead of day star. Um, day star 
in the Latin, because you know the, the original Hebrew was translated into the Latin. That's called the Latin Vulgate uh, by Jerome in like the, what, 4th century A.D. And the Latin Vulgate, the, 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 the translation of that Hebrew word is something like Lucifer. So when the, the translators who gave us the King James Bible translated this verse, they brought over the Latin, which is Lucifer, and that became known as a name for Satan. The original Hebrew word means day star. That's what the word means, or morning star. Um, some even believe this speaks of Venus, you know, being the, the day star. Um, but that's where the, the term Lucifer comes from. It comes from the Latin translation of this phrase. O day star, son of dawn, how you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, look in verse 13, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Give some insight. Satan wanted to be greater than God. He wanted the worship that only God deserves. And for that, the day star, the bright and morning, the bright and morning star, the morning star, uh, the Lucifer here, is cast out of heaven and uh, cast down to the earth. And we know that happens before the fall because who's the one that tempts Adam and Eve to eat of the fruit? Satan who took on the form of what? A serpent, right? He comes slithering in. So sometime between that and creation is when all of this happened. When Satan rebelled against God, kicked out of heaven, took a third of the angels with him, and he came to this earth to wreak havoc, and that's when the fall happened. So that leads to the last statement about this king of Tyre, back in Ezekiel chapter 28. Satan will experience final judgment. Revelation 12 indicates he's raging right now. He's raging, but he will experience final judgment. Look back in Ezekiel 28, verse 18. By the multitude of your iniquities and the unrighteousness of your trade, you profaned your sanctuary. So I brought fire out from your midst. It consumed you. And I turned you to the ashes on the earth in the sight of all who saw you. All who know you among the peoples are appalled at you. You have come to a dreadful end and shall be no more forever. So the Lord's saying... Because of your rebellion, I've judged you. And final judgment, ultimate judgment is coming. Now, what's that going to look like when God um, finally judges Satan and puts an end to his raging against humanity and against God himself? Well, we don't have to wonder because the book of Revelation gives us a very um, graphic description of what this judgment will look like. So hold your place, but turn to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. If you're still with me, say amen. I know we're going down some deep, deep paths tonight, but it's interesting stuff. So, Revelation chapter 20, verse 7. This tells us what happens after the 1,000 year millennial reign of Christ, after his return. The Bible says, when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. So quick quick comment here. Satan is bound during the millennial reign of Christ, where, where Christ sets up his kingdom on this earth. The Bible 
speaks beautifully of that time. The Bible says the lion will lay down with the lamb. The children will play with the cobra. There'll be no death or destruction or evil because Jesus is perfectly reigning. There'll be perfect peace over the earth. Satan is bound. He's not doing his destructive thing. But at the end of a thousand years, Satan will be released and he's going to wreak havoc for a time. Now the question becomes, why in the world would the Lord release Satan after the thousand years? The answer is, I don't know and you don't either. And if somebody tells you they know that, they're lying. Because the Bible doesn't tell us. Now we can speculate. We can speculate and, and we can talk about it. And, and we, can, we can make suggestions uh, and, and, and make hypothetical statements. We don't know exactly why this happens. This is, in the, this is a mystery in the heart and mind of God. But we do know this. It's all going to turn out for God's perfect glory. His plan's all going to turn out for His glory. Um, so... He'll be released, and he's going to gather a great army. They march up over the broad plain of the earth, surround the camp of the saints, the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven, consumed them. So God consumes this great army arrayed against him. And the devil, this is Satan, Lucifer, the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. That's the Antichrist. The bees and the false prophet were, they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. That's how it ends for Satan. God wins. Satan is judged. Lake of fire forever and ever and ever and ever. Aren't you glad God wins? Satan doesn't have the final say. God wins. Satan will experience final judgment. So there are these interesting three chapters all about Tyre. Four messages for this one city on the coast of the Mediterranean. So there's some importance here. And chapter 28 shows us why there's so much um, attention given to Tyre. The prince of Tyre is evil and prideful. But guess who's pulling the strings? The king of Tyre. Satan is behind it all, and he is evil, and he will be judged. Now, this is a pretty bleak portrait of Tyre. Would you agree? If you, if you, look in, if you go on, um, what's the, uh, the, uh, the website? Ancestry. You go to Ancestry.com, and you find out you have relatives from Tyre. You might think, well, this is not good, right? This is not good. Pretty bleak portrait of Tyre, but here's what we know. There's always, always, always hope in Jesus. In Mark chapter 3, Jesus is preaching and teaching and crowds begin to gather. And guess what? People come to Galilee all the way from the coast, the Bible says, from Tyre and Sidon to hear Jesus teach. So here's Jesus in the first century preaching truth, preaching the kingdom, preaching the gospel to these residents of Tyre, this devastated city based upon such evil and pride. In Mark chapter 7, guess what? Jesus went to Tyre. Jesus walked on the streets of this city that's being spoken to in such, a, in such alarming ways in Ezekiel 26 through 28. 
This, this city that was promised waves of destruction. Here comes Jesus. And Jesus is walking the streets of Tyre. And he meets this woman. She's called the Syrophoenician woman. Phoenician people, Tyre, capital of Phoenicia. Syrophoenician woman. And she comes to Jesus and basically says, I'm not a Jew. I don't think I have any right or claim to ask you for help. But my daughter is possessed by an evil spirit, an unclean spirit. And, and, and Jesus is testing her faith. He says, well, I came to the, the, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And, 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 and she, she, she calls up to Jesus, begs him for his help. He, he even says, listen, I'm, I'm, he uses the, the phrase that Jesus used, the Gentiles, of dogs. Uh, I, I, I didn't come for the, the dogs. Is the, the term he uses. And the woman says, well, even dogs get crumbs from the tr- table. And, and Jesus marvels at this woman's faith that will not quit. It perseveres because she's so concerned about the spiritual condition of her daughter. And Jesus marvels at her faith. By the way, Jesus never marveled at an Israelite's faith during his time on this earth. He marveled at the faith of uh, a centurion, a Roman centurion. And he marveled at the faith of a Syrophoenician woman. He marveled at their faith. And he heals this girl of her demon possession. He casts the demon out of her. And she is set free. I want you to know, Satan is raging. Satan is destroying. Satan is coming against nations. He's coming against families. He's coming against communities. He's coming against churches. He's destroying our children's lives, our grandchildren's lives. He is a destroy, a roaring lion seeking those whom he can devour. But I want you to know that when Jesus comes on the scene, Satan can't stand. And Jesus comes on the scene and casts his demon out of this girl. And it happens in Tyre. Tyre, this city that seems like it has no hope in Ezekiel 26 and 28. Here's the Messiah giving hope to the residents of Tyre. And then Jesus makes a really interesting statement in Matthew chapter 11. In Matthew chapter 11, he's pronouncing woe upon some of the villages in Israel. And he said, if Tyre and Sidon had seen what you're seeing right now, they would have repented. They would have repented and turned to me. And so he's basically elevating uh, the, the receptivity of the Tyrenians. So they, were, they were more receptive to him than the, the Jews were. And their receptivity was in great contrast to the Jews' rejection of him. But here Jesus is in Matthew 11 speaking of the people of Tyre. So... God had some devastating messages of judgment. He tells us Satan's behind it all. But isn't it neat how Jesus came? And Jesus walked right in the middle of that city. And Jesus showed us that light, light can push back the darkness. And our righteous Savior Savior can and will overcome the evil one named Satan. That's good News. Amen. Thank you for listening. We pray you've been encouraged and inspired by God's Word. May the Lord richly bless you.